G'day, it's Tommy. Welcome to another episode of The Blokes in Your Ear. It's great to be back in the new year of 2021. I'm sure that it'll be a great year. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please like us on Instagram and Facebook at The Blokes in Your Ear. Also, feel free to slide into our DMs and suggest a guest for us to get on, or even a topic you would like us to chat about. We'll talk about anything and everything. My little brother Sam has been hounding me for months to get onto the podcast. So after a lot of talks and chats, he is going to come on at the end of the pod and ask a few questions of our guest. Today's guest is an absolute ripper and a mad fisherman, Paul Worseling. Paul has turned his passion of fishing into an amazing career, having filmed over 500 episodes of I Fish, a show that my brother and I grew up watching. Paul shares his upbringing and insights into how he got to where he is today and gives advice for anyone that wants to travel their own path in life and achieve their goals. He's a ripping guy, and I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to him. Sit back and enjoy. So thanks a lot for joining us, mate. It's great to have you on. Um, how have you been, mate, the last sort of six months to a year with all this COVID shit happening? Yeah, it's uh, been interesting at best. Um, I've, I've worked in my business for 33 years this year. And um, I'd say it was the most challenging time that I've had in business. And I think the biggest problem is just not knowing. Like we're in a current five-day lockdown now, but you really don't know if it's going to be five, seven, ten, twenty. And every day the, the rules just change. I think any time you take things out of people's control, uh, it causes them great stress. And I've actually enjoyed the concept of lockdown and, and the redirection of people's goals and the re- how do I put it? The bar's been lowered and readjusted to normality. I think it's mm. I think I think it's a bad thing that every year and everything we do, we try to increase by ten percent. Like, wh- why do we have to be ten percent bigger in our turnover and our profit every year? It doesn't actually make sense. But that's what people in business and and everything expect. And I think it's nice to just bring that bar back to a norm- normal place where it should be, and then start to reset and readjust so that we can live normal lives and not be working 24 hours a day trying to achieve goals that are potentially unreasonable. So I'm happy that that's sort of um, been done and everybody accepts that. You don't have to argue with people. You just say, hey, that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah, it's COVID. So um, I've also enjoyed the way people have used COVID as an excuse for everything. Uh, you yeah. stub your toe. Stub your toe. Oh, COVID. Um, oh, I want to let someone down. COVID. Like it's been some of the excuse I've heard is just amazing. But um, I just I just think you've got to take the best out of every experience. and um, I'll be honest, boys. Right now, if COVID wasn't happening, I wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. And I mean that in the nicest way. But I'd be that bloody busy and caught up with things. When you contacted me, I actually thought, you know what? I'm free this afternoon. I'd like to talk to the lads. So there's a lot of there's a lot of plus pluses to it as well. Yeah, for sure, mate. I think that's um really good way of looking at it because these days, like you know, people, everyday people are working, you know, two, three jobs just to stay afloat. Like life's probably, you know, busier than it's ever been. Technology, um, you can never really give yourself a break. So like you said, instead of increasing your workload every year, like last year basically forced everyone to do the opposite. And I think it was good in a lot of ways, but yeah, a lot of people did struggle with that, not actually having anything to do. Yeah, look, and, and um, a lot of people, and I'm a pretty... Um fidgety, busy sort of person, got to be going all the time. Um, and I just kept myself busy. Like I, I made a list of jobs that I wanted to achieve, things I wanted to achieve before COVID was over. And I almost got through them. Uh, there's still a few I haven't. And I think 
it doesn't matter what you do, even if even if you you learn how to play cards like with the family or just just learn a new skill, learn how to play chess or we played a bit of Monopoly. Just do something you haven't done, and I think it's very easy to find joy in some very simple things. So I reckon uh, people will laugh, but I reckon you should have two weeks of lockdown every year. Just lock lock us down for the last two weeks of June every year before the financial. Let everybody take a deep breath, reassess what life's all about, and then start on the first of July with it with a new attitude. And even though that wouldn't work, I think it'd be nice for everyone and it'd make us all a lot happier. Oh yeah, absolutely, mate. Now it's a good way of looking at it. Um, so we'll sort of just go into. Uh, so you're living in Melbourne at the minute. Um, you have a tackle world store, is that right? Fishing store. Yeah, I actually have two tackle world stores. Uh, yep. One at Cran- one at Cranbourne. I started work there when I was 14, and uh, now I'm 47, and I have a store in Mornington which we opened about seven years ago because I relocated to the Mornington Peninsula about 13 years ago. And I just realized there was no good fishing tackle stores anywhere. So I opened one because I was a bit selfish and I wanted a good store close to home. Yeah, absolutely. Love that, mate. So with the starting out of your career and whatnot, obviously, like you just said, um, you started when you were 14 working at the store. Where did you sort of get, when did you get introduced to fishing and who was that introduced by? Um, it's, it's a bit of a tough one because I'm the youngest of five and no, nobody in my family actually fished. So I lived on a farm and I just basically hung around all day chasing, chasing birds, looking at rabbits, trying to do fun stuff. And um, I think I had a, a, an uncle or a granddad or someone like that sort of person in your life come from overseas and he wanted to go fishing in our dam. And there's no fish in there we knew of, but he, he come from uh, the Netherlands where there's no fish anyway. So he took me under his wing and, and he tried to catch a fish. We didn't get one. And I just all of a sudden thought, I wonder what's under that water. And then I'd drive past the bay and I think, I wonder what's under there. And then I figured out the only thing I could do to physically figure it out was try and catch it and remove it from that environment. So I just become passionate about it with no idea, no one to help me and uh, no one to take me. And uh, eventually in year seven, we had an activities week. And one of the activities was a fishing fishing camp, so to speak. And uh, I got involved in that, and I caught my very first fishing port full of bay, which was a flathead off uh, Rosebud. And then um, four flathead that day. I still remember the moment that first fish came over the side. And then uh, next day off the trout farm, of course, I caught a trout. And then I think we went up to Blue Rock Lake, and I caught a trout there as well and um, never looked back and then just uh, seized every, every single moment I could to try and catch that next fish and uh, have that next hit, so to speak. Yeah, beautiful, mate. So um, you were basically hooked. Um, I think that's a fair way of saying it, but I was hooked before I caught a fish. Catch, catching a fish was just the next step. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, it's one of the best feelings. Um, played team sport all my life, and yeah, I'd put that up with you know getting a wicket in cricket or you know kicking uh, a goal in soccer. Yeah, catching a fish is unbelievable feeling. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other feeling that that is equal because. You can't ever guarantee you're going to catch a fish. So you can always guarantee um, you get a bowl of delivery. You can guarantee you can kick a footy. You can like There are things that you know you can do, but you can't ever guarantee that you're going to get a fish on the end of that line. You don't know if it's going to stay on the line, how long it's going to last. So there's all these things. It's, it's almost like, I always say, it's almost like uh, you buy a Tatsoto ticket and you don't really think you're going to win. But in the back of your mind, you get this 1% that goes, what if I did? Imagine how cool it would be if I actually did catch a monster fish. And um, yeah. And, and you're just out there. And when it does happen, it's almost like winning Tats Lotto. It's just the greatest feeling you could ever imagine of euphoria. It's amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. But a bit of a funny story. Earlier this year, we went to Gold Coast. I'm a teacher and me and a couple of my mates went up, went up there just to get away for a week. Um, and we went on this fishing charter. Cost us, I don't know, 120 bucks or something each. And me and my other mate were just, you know, love our fishing. Um, my mate had a uh, heat stroke from the day before and I wasn't feeling too crash. We fished all day for that six hours, didn't catch a thing. Our mate that tagged along with us that's never really fished in his life, he fucking reeled in a, a one-metre Spanish mackerel. <laughs> I could not believe it. And that's that's the other great thing about fishing. Um, not everybody's going to get to play AFL at the top level. Not everyone's going to be the best snow skier in the world. But on any given day, any person can be the best angler. And I just think that is the most beautiful thing. And and, and I get outfished all the time. It's going to happen. And, and sometimes people get like they'll tease you and, oh, geez, I thought you were supposed to be good at this. Um, but I, I, but I, I just reckon it's fantastic because for someone to come along and, and have their moment is just so good. And fishing enables that. The one thing I will say, if you go 10 times, you'll outfish him nine times out of 10. But the, yeah. great thing, the great thing is he's going to have his one time. And I think that's why it's so awesome. Yeah, it's almost like the great equaliser, isn't it? It's basically, you know, you can get that beginner's luck and just smoke your mates or, yeah, on the day. It's just, yeah, there is a lot of luck to it as well. Yeah, there's always an um, I always say there's an element of luck with fishing, which there is. But uh, like all things in life, you make your own luck. And uh, it's it's like a keeper being there. And he was lucky that when the ball got edged, it went to his gloves. Well, he stood there for 400 deliveries before that and it didn't get edged. So it's... Yeah. There is that. There's an element of luck, but you make your own luck. And um, like all things in life, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And um, when we go out fishing, particularly filming, because it's such an expensive exercise, we leave nothing to luck or chance. And when we don't catch fish, it's just because there was no fish to be caught or they didn't want to bite. It's not because we didn't go to the right place or we didn't have the right gear or we didn't fish the right hours. You just take every single, it's called the one percenters, and if you tick every one percent box, nine times out of ten, you're going to nail it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, I love that saying, give it all the time. Yeah, you make your own luck. It's true. If you don't have your rod in the water, then, you know, if you lure or your bait or whatever you've got, like, you're not going to catch anything, are you? Like, you sit the name on the couch. So, yeah, 100%. 100% right, mate. Um, so, with, with, when you grew up, sorry, where did you say you grew up? In, was that in Victoria or...? Yes, I grew up in a uh, a little town called Cranbourne, which um, which some people call Cranbourne now because uh, <laughs> it, it it doesn't have the best uh, the best what would you call it the best rap I suppose. But um, I'm I'm actually pretty proud of the fact that I grew up in Cranbourne and uh, just through hard work I was able to achieve some really good things. And uh, I've still got a store in Cranbourne. And my my parents and all live in Cranbourne. It's it's a, it was a, a sleepy little town. Now it's a bloody Oh, it's ridiculous. I don't even like going there anymore because there's so many people and houses in the paddocks. The farms I used to hunt bunnies on now have 10,000 houses every square kilometre. It's amazing. Um, but really good part of the world. Um, grew up on a farm for, for a lot of my childhood and, and was always surrounded by really, really cool, genuine people like farmers and people who took me under their wing. And I think that's what gave me my greatest opportunities people who knew more than me and were more experienced than me were prepared to mentor me and I was prepared to listen. And a guy said to me many years ago, he said, if you want to be good at something, find someone who's better than you, stand as close as you physically can to them 
and hope every little bit of their knowledge rubs off on you. And to this day, I do that. If I want to be good at something, I find whoever is the best and I just make sure I'm in their pocket because what you can pick up in a day would take you 10 years to learn by yourself. And that doesn't mean you're actually using someone because you're giving something back too. And and I, I mentor a lot of people um, both in a meaningful way in the fact that I know I'm mentoring, but also mentor people without even knowing it. But I actually like to help people because it's a, it's a really nice feeling when you've been able to achieve something that's worthwhile to be able to help someone else achieve those things too. And um, inversely, it's really sad when you see people who are very good at something and they mentor somebody and then that somebody gets better at it than they did and they actually get the shits on and then they, mm. they don't want to help that person more. I think the greatest compliment in the world would be to help someone to actually become better than you ever were. I think I think that's better than being great yourself. Um, and, and that's one thing I've learned along the way. If you can't help people along your journey, then there's not much worth in your journey at all than what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely, mate. No, that's a great message. A bit of a um, real-life experience I can think of. It's... Um... If you go out and play around a golf with your mates, if you play with some really high-quality players with a really low handicap, that can actually improve your game, even though you're not going to be necessarily as good as them, your game will lift. But then if you go out, you know, smack a six-pack of beers before you go out with a couple of your hack mates, like your, your quality of play is more than likely going to uh, deteriorate. So, yeah, like even though that's a bit of a different example, like, yeah, you're totally right if you hang out with those people that are better than you at something that can elevate your own game. 100%. That's the one thing I recommend to everyone. Um, just I, like when people come into my shop all the time, so look, I know nothing about fishing. I want to take my kid fishing. I said, it's simple. Go down the pier, look around till you see someone who's catching a fish and then say to them, excuse me, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I have no idea at all. I desperately want to help my son catch a fish. Could you please give us some guidance? And if you do that, I reckon 99 times out of 100, that person will say, tell your boy to sit next to me and I'll show him how to catch a fish. Whereas if you walk down the pier going, oh, mate, I read the book. I know where I, I've been on the internet. You catch garbage on maggots, mate. This is how people are just going to look and go, yep, okay, mate, off you go. And I think it's just being able to be humble and say, hey, I need help. And uh, men particularly aren't good at that all the time, mm. saying, saying, I don't know everything, I don't need help. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's a good thing just to be able to lay it out there and say, hey, I need some help, can you help me? And um, Fishermen in general, I say that meaning fisher women as well, are very kind-hearted people who have been in that same situation and just want to share. And for a lot of them, the greatest joy they'll get is actually helping you catch a fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. I think that's great advice to some of the novices out there that want to get into it or even you know experience one of the life. If you want to get better at it, then just keep asking away. Um, the other thing that I wanted to sort of find out was how did you get your big break? So I sort of did a little bit of research in it. Is it right that you were in the Rex Hunt Fishing Show for a bit? Yeah, I did that for uh, four years. Yep. Um, and it's interesting you say the big break. What is the big break? And I suppose I've never even thought about that, but um, I suppose I did 10,000 things to try and get my big break. Hmm. And, and, and one of them actually put me over the line. But... Um, Basically, at the time, I was writing fishing articles for all the major magazines in Australia, and I was doing radio and that sort of stuff, and I was trying to build a bit of a name and a reputation for myself, I suppose. And I 
pretty much knew that if I could get on one episode of Rex Hunt Fishing Adventures, it's worth writing a thousand fishing articles. So I literally just hounded him again and again. I just, at the time, I had his fax number. And because mm, uh, back in the day, it was a fax, and I'd send him a fax nearly every second day. If you want to catch a big squid, I'll take you here. If you want to do this, and I reckon two years, um, nothing, nothing happened. And then I got closer to him just through chance and um, spent a bit of time with him. And he obviously got the trust from me that I wasn't full of it and I knew what I was talking about. And I made a suggestion. They, the, the hardest thing in fishing television is choosing a location where there's fish at the time. I don't think anybody can understand the pressure that puts on someone to try and go somewhere to catch fish at a given time when it's costing you about five grand a day just to stand there. Like that is pressure at its highest point. Uh, you got to worry. You got to think about the fish have to bite. The conditions have to be right. You need to go with someone who you've never met before, but you put all your faith and trust in that they can do the job. Um, it really is a tough gig, and they were struggling. They couldn't catch a fish. They had episodes need to go to air, and I put my hand up and said, "Hey boys, I I won't use the G word because you never guarantee, but I reckon I can guarantee you a couple of great episodes down at Port Walshpool." So I gave them my um, full idea of what was going to happen when, where, how, and uh, I was look. To be honest, I was probably half, half on the game. The other half I was making up because you never really know. But uh, I just committed and said, "No, this is it. I know this guy's a gun." And they turned around and said, "Yep, we're going to do it." So I locked it all in, and then I said, "Oh, look, boys, I'd love the experience. Could I just come along and watch?" And they said, "Yep." And I went, "Oh my god, I'm going to get to go on a Rex Hunt fishing adventure shoot." And actually watch them make a show. I tell you, and I was like beside myself. So I was that excited. So um, Sunday night, I'll never forget, I locked the shop up at six o'clock. And uh, Rex rocked up at the shop at six, knocked on the back door. We got in the car and drove down to Port Albert. And uh, we played a bit of pool, had a pub meal, and I shared a hotel room with him. And I'll, I still to this day, I'll never forget how much I laughed. We're about to turn the light off, and uh, he looks across me and says, Now, Paul, if I stop snoring tonight, you need to wake me up. I said, Why? He said, Because I'm dead. <laughs> and, I, and I just and he snored like a bastard all night. The alarm went off at four o'clock. I had no sleep, and we uh, we go down the boat and get on the boat, and we're heading out of the entrance of Port Albert. And this guy who I didn't even know what he was doing, he's a sound recorder. He said, oh, "I need to put this on you." I said, "What's that?" Very naive. He had some microphone. I said, "What do I need a microphone for?" And he said, "Because you were doing the episode with Rex today." And I almost fell out. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't even dream about it. I just did, I was just there to sort of watch what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, and and all of a sudden, like um, I'm, it's hard to it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine, but it almost be like if you're Barrett for Collingwood and you go to the grand final, and you sit in the cheer squad and and they come, Nathan Buckley comes and says, oh by the way, Paul throw this jump from we're one short. That's yeah yeah. That literally was how big a deal it was to me. And um, then of course I was absolutely shitting myself because I thought, holy shit, what if I stuff it up? And of course you need weather and fish. It was an absolute glass out. My sinker hit the bottom. And straight away, I felt this massive thump. And I said to the camera, is that thing rolling? Or what? He goes, yep. I said, watch this. And bang. And I hooked and caught a 20-pound snapper and put it to the bottom again, hooked and caught an 18-pound snapper. And then it just didn't stop all day. And we filmed this incredible episode of Rex Hunt Fishing Adventures. And um, I thought, well, that's my chance. I'm going to be on TV. This is amazing. Like, I was stuck. That was it. That was, I'd, I'd hit the pinnacle as far as I was concerned. And uh, we got home. And a week later, I got a phone call from the producer saying, have you got any other ideas? I said, I do. I'll let you know. I hung up the phone. I had no bloody idea. And I, <laughs> went, 
but but I, I always learnt um, bite off more than you can chew and then chew as hard as you can. So I come up with this idea about going off Phillip Island for Mako Sharks. Well, we went off Phillip Island for Mako Sharks a week later. Worst day in the history of the world. It was blowing 40 knots from the south. We uh, we drifted 10 times quicker than we should, and we should have never, ever, ever got a bite. We got eight hits from Mako Sharks that day and landed two of them. It's the best day of Mako Shark fishing I've ever had in Bass Strait in my life, and I've done it 20 or 30 times. You're normally lucky to get one. We hooked eight. And uh, that was just a gun day, did an incredible episode. So a week later, I get another phone call. Got any other ideas? Leave it with me. And uh, I pulled out all the stops and I organised a trip to Flinders Island in Tasmania. Uh, organised aeroplanes, boats, the whole works. And we went down there and had another great trip. And uh, I'll never forget the moment I was standing on the beach fishing for salmon. And the producer, Michael Donnelly, at the time walks over to me and says, Now, Paul, you need to start wearing some better clothes. Because I was just a bloody 20 seven-year-old kid as far as I was concerned going fishing I said what do you mean mm. oh, and I was just wearing what you wore fishing and, and 20 years ago you didn't wear all your fancy clothes you wore your old tracky pants and old t-shirt you went painting in and uh he literally said well now you're a part of the show you have to dress appropriately and I went what and and that literally was him saying that you're in you got a full-time gig and it literally just went from there and um I think we did. I did four seasons on Rex Hunt Fishing Adventures until eventually he gave it away. Yeah, wow. That, what was that feeling like when he, the producer told you that? It would have been unbelievable, man. It literally, it literally was. Um, those moments. I hope. I hope everybody in their life has had at least one or has one. Mm. But it was that. It was that moment in your life that it's so surreal. You literally, you literally feel like you're in a, a dream and you're floating. You think this can't be real. Um, it just can't be real. And then all of a sudden, uh, then you think, oh, and it's not going to happen. All of a sudden, you get a phone call and bang, you're part of the team and you're off to the next spot. And all of a sudden, I was flying around the country, fishing in all these incredible locations, catching fish I'd never dreamt about for the next four years. And um, and then and then even better, getting to see it on national television. Like the, the best thing in the world is catching a big fish with people you love. But what's even better is being able to then share that with others. So you take a photo. You want to put it on Facebook. You want to show your mum and dad. You want to show your mates. You want to you want to share that experience. And this was the ultimate share because I got to share it with the whole world. So it was just it was pretty cool. And um, I've always said I'll never ever know how good this whole ride's been till it's over. And then when it's over, I think I'll look back and go, "Holy crap, that was cool." Yeah, absolutely, mate. That's fantastic. Um, if we just backtrack a little bit. That's a great insight into how you sort of got into it. Um, but if we just wind back to your sort of high school days, so what were you thinking in your head that you wanted to do once you finished school? Because I'm sure there wouldn't have been, uh, there might not have been heaps of fishing shows around and, you know, probably you might have had your mum and dad telling you that, you know, that's not a viable career option. So what did you have in your head in high school that you wanted to do after school? Yeah, so there's definitely no fishing shows around, and I never dreamt of being a rock star or anything like that. Um, so in my early days, I wanted to be a vet, and then I realised that would be way too hard because I'm not studying for seven years, even though I love animals. Um, then I wanted to be a builder because my dad was a builder, and my dad said, "Don't be bloody stupid." And then I literally, then I literally wanted to, I wanted to manage a tackle store because I was working um, forty hours a week part time in a tackle store. So whilst I was going to high school. I was doing 40 hours a week, Thursdays, Friday nights after school, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, school holidays, 
Um, and I wanted to manage that store. And mum and dad convinced me not to do it, which I'm very grateful for. They said, you can always do that. Just finish year 12. So I finished year 12. And then all of a sudden, I'm pretty sure at the time, it was either John Kane or Joan Kerner was the premier of Victoria. It goes back a few years. And Victoria was in financial crisis. Um, high high inflation rates. People couldn't get a job, etc. So I literally convinced myself that it would be a good idea just to go to uni for four years. And if I went to uni for four years, by the time I got out of uni, the state would be back on its feet. Jobs would be plenty and I could go get a normal job. So I thought, what am I going to do at uni? Because school was okay, but I wasn't a lover of school. Um, but what I did love is sport. I love PE. I love playing sports. So I I'm going to become a PE teacher. So I actually, uh, at the time, the, the best physical education university in Victoria was called Rusden in, in Burwood. And I had to get this incredible score just to get in. So uh, I, I applied myself and I finished male ducks of my school and I got into Rusden to do a four-year uh, Bachelor of Physical Education and Health teaching. And I actually became a PE teacher, which is ironic because I think you said before you were a teacher. Yeah, I'm a PE teacher as well, mate. So there you go. Yeah, there you, there you go. So, so you yeah. know. So I thought I'm going to be a teacher. I want to like my PE teachers through life were always the coolest people in my life. They were I can name every single PE teacher I ever had since primary school. Um, mm. uh, gra- grade six, Mr. Slaven. In, in in year in year seven, it was uh, Reno Leah. Then I had Neville Powell. Just guys who you wanted to be like because they were cool. I thought I'm going to be a teacher. I want to be a cool yeah. one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In, in year 12, I had Mr. Van Wees. Um, so, so I went off to Rudson and, and had a great time. I did four incredible years there, and um, I finished with some pretty high marks, did really well. I'm a very good rote learner. Um, I can memorize stuff, and all I pretty much did was memorize stuff I wasn't smart enough to actually know. And um, I, I finished, and I was ready to go out and get a job. So I thought, I want to take 12 months off because I've pretty much been at school for 20-odd years, so to speak. So I, yeah, took cool. 12, yeah. I took 12 months off, and I just wanted to go fishing, and I was at Bermagui in May off the uh, Churros Canyon catching yellowfin and albacore when my boss at the time called me and said, I want to talk to you when you get home. So he got, I got home from a trip, went and saw him, and he said, I want, to buy, you want, I want you to buy him a tackle store, because he wanted to get out, and he obviously saw that I had potential. So... Um, I had to beg, borrow, and steal hundreds of thousands of dollars with 5000 bucks in the bank. And uh, I'm not too embarrassed to say that my parents put up their house as collateral so I could actually borrow that money. And uh, I borrowed the money to buy that shop when I was 22 years of age. And uh, 30, 30 years later, whatever it is, or 25 years later, I'm still running it with my darling wife, who also worked there at the time, and she was nine. Yeah, wow, mate. So you didn't, so you never actually ended up getting a gig of um, in teaching. I did three days, which is very funny. I did three days <laughs> of te- I did three yeah. days of teaching at Umeriring High, um, and those three days were all um, when they ring you up for emergency teaching. They ring you up at eight o'clock saying, "Hey, we're desperate." So, and I literally sat in the class and said, "Hey, kids, as long as you're quiet, you can do whatever you want." Because I was just the emergency teacher, and I actually sat the front writing fishing articles while I was like, while I was on my emergency <laughs> teacher. Um, and and then and then it all went out the window because I got this other opportunity. And a lot of people do say to me, "Geez, you feel like you've wasted four years of your life." Um, and I'm saying, "No way," because I learned how to teach while I was at university. 
it made me better educated and it also taught me how to socialize. And I had some, I got great friends um, who I met at uni, still great friends today. And I think school isn't just about learning. It's about, it's about learning how to be who you are and about making incredible relationships and all sort of stuff. So uh, I would not give up those four years for all the tea in China, so to speak. It was pretty cool. Yeah, of course. No, uni's fantastic like that and the social part of it as well. Like, yeah, like you're saying, meet new people, um, the party stuff. I'm not sure whether you're much of a party animal, were you? Or? Well, I wish I, I – I actually missed out because I was so dedicated to my job. So I worked yeah. Thursday, Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday seven to six, Sunday seven to six, and then went to uni five days a week. So everyone used to go out nightclubbing on Thursday nights. I just never went because I'd be at work till nine, and then I'd be uni first thing in the morning, and, work, and I was just too tired. So I actually did miss out on a lot. I still had fun, and occasionally I'd still get out and have some. Like I wasn't, I wasn't a prude, but I did miss out on a lot of fun things that my other mates did because I was just too busy working and and trying to make a quit and, and achieve that next goal. Yeah, of course. But I suppose all that hard work in the initial stages um, sort of helped you get to where you were, mate. Oh, there's no doubt. And I have um, I have people look at me today and I know, and it's hard. They look at me, oh, it's all right for you. You've got this, you've got this, you've got rental properties, you've got two bit, like you've got a nice car. You got, and, and I go, yeah, that's fine. And, and we go to Europe on holidays. That's But I never went backpacking like my friends did. They spent six months overseas as young blokes just taking on the world, having a ball. Like I, Everyone who has ever achieved anything has had to make sacrifices to do it, mm. and and I made those sacrifices. Um, and am I sorry? No, I'm not, because would I change it? No, I wouldn't. Am, am I sad I missed those opportunities? 100%. But now I own my house, and these guys are just trying to buy their first house at 45. So it's it's all horses for courses, and people just have to do what suits them. And just because someone is doing one thing, that doesn't mean that suits you. So as long as you're happy in your decisions and you're happy with your lot in life, then that's all that really matters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. No, that's a fantastic way of putting it. So when you've basically just told us, um, so, you, yeah, obviously when you were doing those couple of CRT days at the schools, you could tell just by, your, you know, you're writing fishing articles that your real passion was fishing. Um, so I suppose, how did you turn your uh, passion into a successful career? Yeah, I was very fortunate to buy a fishing tackle store. I realised straight away that owning a tackle store wasn't about sitting in the corner and looking at the latest lure and bending a rod and getting all excited. It was actually a business. And as much as I love fishing, I had to pay off a loan or my parents would lose their house. So it made me realise very quickly that life's about Sadly, it's about economy, dollars and cents. So I was lucky in that respect. and then, But I always had that passion and love. And I still, today, I'm dead set passionate about fishing. I just love fish. Like, I can't even describe the, the love I have for fish and the environment and being out there with people. It's just, it's just one of the coolest things you do in your life. So I was lucky enough to then build on that. And then, and then I basically thought, I don't want to be a dude who sits behind a counter at the age of 65 and, and just, yep, the pippies are over there, mate. There's the hooks. There's the rods. I didn't want to become old and stale and boring. I wanted to be out there active. And I basically, because I was young, and, and when you're young, you're pretty crazy, I wanted to have the best fishing tackle store in the world. Not in Cranbourne, not in Victoria, and I in the world. So I thought the only way to do that, at the time, uh, Tiger Woods was really big and Michael Jordan was really big. 
and companies like Nike would pay Michael Jordan $10 million a year to wear shoes. And I'm thinking, I need someone to endorse my business to show everybody that's the coolest fishing tackle shop in Australia. But I can't afford to pay Michael Jordan. I can't afford. So if I become a personality or, or a, I hate the C word, celebrity, if I become a celebrity in, in the field of fishing, I don't have to pay myself. People will come to my business to see me. So I went about trying to build a profile so that people would want to come to my fishing shop over everyone else's. And that was one of the things that made me work hard to become who I am today because I wanted to try and drive people into my stores and I wanted to be an expert, so to speak, um, but a knowledgeable person. When you're 22, no one wants to listen to you. You're a kid. Uh, you don't know anything. You're wet behind the ears. I've heard at least I wanted to be an expert who could actually provide service and knowledge to people and I wanted people to get excited about what I was doing so they'd be excited too and it worked yeah beautiful mate that's unreal and I had a quick quick squeeze before um and it said I fished the show that you sort of oh that I know you're from that me and Sam grew up watching you and I'm sure kind of did as well um that's got just over 500 episodes now is that right yeah I think we've now filmed uh, I think we finished last season on 513 and we filmed 24 this year so far, so we're um, we're pushing up to about 540 episodes, which is absolutely bloody ridiculous. Yeah, mate, bloody oh. So how did iFish come about? So you finished your four years with Rex Hunt, you had an unbelievable experience there, obviously learned a shitload of things from him um, and his crew. What was the break, how long a break between that and you starting your own show, and how did that come about? How did you get that opportunity? So we actually were down at Ward 8 um, on Western Port and we had to go and film half a dozen um, clips for Rex's international series. So when his show goes international, they cut all the ads and stuff out. So you need a three-minute fishing tip in it to get it back to 30 minutes. So I was down there uh, filming them and my producer at the time uh, was with me and Rex's show had finished, just finished. And he said, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't know, probably just go back to running a tackle store or whatever. He goes, why don't you do your own fishing show? And I just laughed, like, because that, <laughs> like, literally that was like me saying, you should be the Queen of England. Um, it ain't ever going to happen. And um, he goes, no, nah, I'll get you on here. I said, you will not. He goes, I will. So he made a phone call to Channel 10 that afternoon. And that afternoon he said, I think I've got your spot. They want to see a pilot. And I was like, what? No, I just couldn't believe it. So we raced into the city where... Um, their production house was and we actually filmed the opener for a pilot and luckily I'd filmed an episode of Rex Hunt Vision Avengers where Rex wasn't in it so we actually used that as the pilot because we could rebrand it as a different show and um, I filmed an opener for that pilot we made and we sent it to the network and they literally come back and said you're on um, I think the first series you've got 20 we had 26 half hours at 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon on Channel 10 nationally done deal wow and, and the name of the show come about, um, it was actually going to be called All Fishermen Are Liars, because they are. And <laughs> we, were going to, we were going to end every show with, hey, that was a 30-pound snapper, don't forget, All Fishermen Are Liars. And um, we actually changed it because when I was going to university, I wanted a personalised number plate. I'd bought a nice car, I'd saved up, and I wanted something that when I drove past them, people on the highway, they'd read my number plate and they'd go, that is that that sums that person up and i almost want to write a sentence i love fishing it is my life i love being and it's great and i and i can only have six 
numbers, letters, sorry. Mm. And, and, I, and I played around with a heap of different um, opportunities and eventually I came up with I fish, five letters. And if I drive past someone on the highway, it tells them everything about me. I fish. And uh, I went to Vic Roads, bought the plate for $295 that went on my car. And at this time, by the way, Apple had not released an iPad, an iPhone, nothing. It was way before they ever come up with the i concept. And I had this iFish number plate. And in the pilot, I actually drove my truck away and the cameraman got a shot of the iFish number plate. And my, the producer at the time rang me and said, I've got a name for the show, Paul. I said, yeah, what is it? He goes, iFish. And I actually said to him, don't be stupid. That'll never work. And, and uh-huh. because, well, because it was mine, I, I wasn't looking at the big picture. It was just my number plate. It was my, so we decided to call the show I Fish. And, um, yeah, 540 episodes later, I still am in disbelief. I can't, and I've actually taken the number plate off my car now because <laughs> it's hard. Not, well, when you, when you drive past people, they still hang out the window pretending to catch a fish. And when you got on your car, it, it creates a bit of havoc. But, um, yeah, the old iFish number plate hangs very proudly in my fishing room. And from very humble beginnings, it's very hard to believe it's now a very recognised brand in the Australian fishing scene. Yeah, beautiful, mate. That, yeah, that's unreal. Um, with the the song itself, the Tackle World song, or the IP, I think it's the Tackle World song, um, yep. did the company come up with that? Because that, that's one of the things I remember most about when I, whenever I think of you. I think of that song, you know, we know what you'd rather be doing. Doing. So, <laughs> so that, that, that's, uh, that's something no one's ever asked me before. So that particular song, yeah, that was, that was a jingle that Tackle World had written. And, and it's, I, can, I can probably say this now. At the time, that jingle cost us $80,000 to be written. Really? So there was 40 stores at the time. Every store kicked $2,000 in. And we spent eighty grand. I think it's the best eighty grand we ever spent because to this day, I I think it's just priceless. And the fact that it's it, it had to get stuck in people's head. That's why we liked it. And yeah. um, <laughs> and 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 we spent the coin. That was over a decade ago and worth every cent. And um, every now and then we go to a board meeting and said, oh, we need to change it. I go, don't change it. Just it's it's us. It's what we are. It's what we stand for. Um, and it just works so well. It just works so well. Oh man, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like I'm 25 years of age now, and you know, grew up watching your show as a young kid. And even when we went up to Queensland on that fishing charter, I still had that bloody song in my head. So um, it's uh, extremely catchy. It is. It's funny to say. I was at, I was at the Gold Coast a few weeks ago, and a young girl and her boyfriend coming to Doug Bird's Tackle World, and she came around and said, "Excuse me, can I please get a photo?" I said, "Yeah, no dramas at all." And um, she was very gigglish and, and shy, and I said, can I ask how old you are? He said, yep, I'm 18 and I've been watching your show my entire life. And I went, oh my God, you have, because I started iFish in 2005. So we're 15 and I did Rex, I started Rex Up Vision Adventures in 2000. So for her entire life, I've been on TV. And that was, just, yeah. it blew me away. It, it literally blew me away that she's grown up and I've been the only thing she's sort of known in that space. So um, it's a privilege in a way because. You are very lucky to to be in that space. Oh yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, and I'll just finish off on a couple shorter questions, and then Sammy, you've got a question or two for you. Um, just mindful of your time, mate. Like, it's been great to have you on. So one from my 
mate, Adam, he's yeah, he loves his fishing. He literally when he lives in Melbourne now, he um works in the force as a cop. Um, but he loves fishing like you would not believe. He's addicted to it. He's not great at it, but he fucking loves it. His his question to you was, what's your favourite fish to catch? So the only answer I can give to that is, and I, I say this a lot, it's like asking someone with three kids which their favourite kid is. <laughs> it, it changes on a daily basis, but I've got a top, I can't have ever one, but I've got like a top 10 or a top five. But the first thing that comes to mind is a bonefish. Um, they are just the most incredible fish in the world and the environment you catch them in is amazing. Swordfish, my best swordfish is over 400 kilos. I spent 20 years. I spent 20 years trying to get a bite from my first swordfish, and uh, it took me 20 years. I finally did it. They are just unbelievable. I just love them so much. Thresher, thresher sharks, absolutely mind blowing. Um, but my favourite fish has to be the fish I am targeting on any given day. So if I'm going out fishing for bluefin tuna tomorrow, then my favourite fish is a bluefin tuna because I am focused on that fish. That's my goal, and I think if you've got a fishing goal. Doesn't matter what it is, when you are successful, it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like, are you into your cricket at all, or sort of? I abs- ab- absolutely love it. Yep. So it's like kind of similar. I'm a massive sports nut. Um, as a you know, some of our listeners are as well. If you you're playing cricket and you know you've got a set plan to you know the number three batsman that comes in, um, and you can manage to bowl that you know those two or three pressured overs and then bowl that perfect ball with that that field setting and force the error. It's sort of probably similar sort of um, concept, I'd assume. 100%, mate, 100%. Yeah, beautiful. Um, And when you're saying saying you got that 400-kilo swordfish, that sort of makes me think of the question, probably a bit of an odd one, but how does your back and body go with reeling in, like, massive fish? Because I've reeled in a couple of, you know, pretty average sized fish and even that can put some strain on your body how, how do you go with that uh, that particular fish was five hours and 20 minutes on 37 kilo line oh. and, and and i struck oh. i struggled i struggled to walk for about five days um wow. but phys- physically i think any person can handle anything physically you can always just go there mentally is what kills you mm. and it's having it's having the the nous that when after five hours and that fish goes under the boat to be able to drop your rod down have the nows to back the drag because your mind just turns to jelly and um, it's it's tough. And I, I was at the, actually at the um, at the uh, physio the other day getting my back fixed and he just looked at me and said, what have you been doing? It's a long story. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, ain't, it ain't always easy, but um, I think you just, when you're running the marathon, you just go 10 kilometres to go, eight kilometres. You just got to look at that finish line yeah, and uh, never, ever give up because the only thing in life you need to do is just get up one more time and you fall over than the person next year mm. and you'll be and you'll be a success yeah absolutely and yeah if you, if you don't give up and you do fail you can always look yourself in the mirror and go oh, i gave it 100 didn't get that fish or didn't get that thing in life but um yeah you can't question your own uh, commitment to it i suppose exactly right and yeah the other little ones were your favorite fishing spot in victoria um, and then your favourite spot in Australia? Uh, so Victoria. Yes. I, I'm going to have to say Port Phillip Bay. Port Phillip, yep. Just, just because 
Um, Port Phillip Bay. I'm just going inside, boys. Change of scenery because my phone's going a bit flat. I need to plug it in. Yeah, but um, Port, Port Phillip Bay is because I grew up fishing it. It's where I caught my first snapper. I live, I live two minutes from the bay. I can see it from my kitchen window. I can see it right now. Um, it's just a very, very special place, and I think, I think people have no idea just how good the bay is and what it has to offer. So that to me is amazing. Also, Western Port as well is amazing. Um, but then, yeah, look, I think yeah, uh, those two, just because of the history I've had with them, I reckon they're pretty special. Yeah, beautiful, mate. And then, yeah, last one for me is, um, do you prefer, this might be similar to the question that I asked first up about your favourite fish, but do you prefer salt or flatwater fishing? Oh, can I say both? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I, I love, look, again, if I'm going trout fishing for the day, yeah. Um, I, you can't beat trout. I love it. It's uh, when I'm doing it, it's the best thing in the world. But yeah. when I'm out with salt and briny, I love that just as much. So it's a it's a tough one. Um, yeah, and and any given day, whatever I'm doing is the thing that I love doing most. Which sounds a bit weird, but uh, very hard, very hard to diss anything you love. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Um, righto. Well, I'll chuck Sam on, and then we'll finish it up after that. And I'm sure Sam's scratching. Um, get you a couple of questions, mate. No dramas at all. Beautiful. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Good. I'm still looking for a phone charger. I've just gone upstairs. I think I've finally found one, so we're not going to go flat. Oh, yeah. No stress. No stress I, at all. I have charge. You beauty. Um, yeah, firstly, um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to have your presence now. Um, I'm extremely grateful to, to have the opportunity to talk to you. Um, yeah, as Thomas mentioned, um, we've both been big fans growing up and I don't know how many episodes we've watched over the years, but, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we love what you do and, um, it's great stuff. Um, so what I had to say, you pretty much covered most of the ones that I sort of had earlier on, um, in terms of what sort of advice you would give to, to a young person that's trying to sort of step into that sort of situation, um, trying to develop and sort of lead into a career doing what you love. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I've got a page on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and I'm sort of in the process of getting a, a series sort of on YouTube uh, just with a mate, um, just sort of doing what we love camping fishing all that sort of stuff um have you got any other any other words of advice that you would sort of give out to a young person um that's yeah looking to sort of further and step into a role that that they sort of love yeah uh, it's a fantastic question i think i think the most important thing is to do that on the side of normal life so I get people come to me all the time saying I want to I want to be a fishing TV star I want to be this or I want to make lures for a living and I always say as long as you do it part time and and keep your normal job pay the mortgage do it but and then do this for a passion not for money and the more if you're passionate enough the money will come and don't ever give up your day job until what you're doing or trying to achieve in in your other life is more successful financially than the, the day job. The worst thing you do is walk away from being a plumber, for instance, and say, I'm going to be a fisherman now. 
And if you can, and because you might take three years to get to the level where you make more money fishing than you do plumbing, or five years, but if yep. you make it, if you make it to that point, you can then understand, hey, this is actually working here. Things are happening, and then you can give, then you can go plumbing to thirty hours a week, twenty hours a week, ten hours, and all of a sudden you're you're a professional fisherman, so to speak. So it's always about doing it as a part-time gig, doing it not for the money, but for the passion, for the love. And when you do that and you put your heart and soul into it, all of a sudden the other stuff will come. And I think that's the most important thing. I I um I get people all the time, it's hard, they go, Oh, I just like people used to say to me, um, you're gonna be the next Rex Hunt. And I always said to them, No, I'm gonna be the first Paul Worsing. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't I didn't want to be someone else. I wanna be me. I just wanted to and I and, and I and I knew I'd never give up. And I've seen so many people come and go who were probably better fishermen than me, probably better presenters than me, maybe better business people than me, but they gave up after a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you never hear their name anymore. And it's because they gave up. So if you literally are prepared to do this for the long haul, you can make a, a huge success, but you can't ever give up. Because I've been doing this since I was technically 12 years of age, and all of a sudden I'm an overnight success, so to speak. But that that's thirty five years in the making. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is um yeah, that is awesome to hear. Um yeah, I'm blown away by that. That's I uh, really appreciate that advice. Um I'll certainly be be taking that on board. Um yeah, that's great. Um just another another one. How do you go with uh with nerves and stuff behind the camera and on air and with the, the whole media side of things, like more so early on because obviously you've been doing it for a long time now and, like, yeah, I suppose you adapt to it and um, you get better at it. But sort of early on, what sort of things did you find helped you to uh, deal with those nerves? Uh, that's that's a really cool question. Um and, and you still have your moments. Like there's nothing harder than when you're in a public place and you're filming. So you might be outside the local coffee shop saying, I've just grabbed a coffee. I'm about to go to the boat and you've got 30 people watching. Now, to, that always still, always still makes me nervous because if you stuff it up, 30 people look at you, laugh at you, walk away going, oh, he's a loser. Uh, and sometimes you have to do the same take three times just, just because you want to get a tight shot, a wide shot, just to make it look amazing on TV. Those people all walk away and go, oh, I knew he was crap. I knew he didn't get it right first time every time. Uh, so you've just got to be comfortable in your own skin. And yeah. the biggest thing in life, particularly with kids going to school, being bullied, whatever, just be comfortable in your own skin. There's plenty of 13-year-old boys who still take a teddy bear to bed every night. But will they admit that to their mates at school? No way. Because they because they'll be shit scared that their mates will tease him. But guess what? The bloke is going to tease him. He takes a teddy bear to school too, and it's got a pink ribbon on it. So, <laughs> so, but but no one. I, mate, I'm 47. My mum's 79. I tell her I love her every day. Every time I see her, I hug her, I kiss her. I'm not embarrassed because that's what you should do with them. You know what I mean? But everyone's scared that the other people are looking in, thinking they're a bit weird. If if you're comfortable in your own skin, and you stand up, and if, and I stuff it up. I just don't, I'm at the point, I just don't care because you know what? I just go to people. If if someone was to say, oh, oh you're an idiot, I'll go, you know what, mate? 
show me your 540 episodes of TV and I'll critique, I'll critique them for you. So I'm lucky you get to that point where you've got more confidence in yourself, but you still have to. I know people who have done a lot of great things and they still don't have confidence in themselves. And I still doubt lots of decisions I make. But the one yep. thing is I walk away at the end of every day comfortable in my skin. If I'm a bit overweight because I've put on to it, Chris, it is what it is. If, I got about, it is, if I'm a bit of a dork, it is what it is. But I am me. I own me 100% and I try to love me because if you don't love yourself, you can't love the other people in your life. So I think as long as you own it and you know what? Worst case, you trip over, you fall on your face, you get a, you get a black eye and you go, oh, it didn't go so well. Let's try again. But if you can laugh, <laughs> but if you can laugh at yourself, you'll always, you'll always be fine. Yeah. No, that is very well said. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I really, as I said earlier, I really appreciate you taking out your time, um, you know, for a couple of young blokes, um, brother especially. I know that Thomas and Connor, um, they've done the hard work to get you here and I'm just a lucky man to jump in on it. So, yeah, I'm extremely uh, grateful to to have had the opportunity to, to have a chat. And, um, yeah, I wish you all the best in the future and uh yeah thank you so much absolute pleasure mate you're too kind don't don't forget i'm just a dumb old fisherman uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was lucky enough to get a bite once um no and look it's all good and I, and I appreciate it guys and um the most important thing is and it sounds like you are you just got to follow your dreams uh, a very good friend of mine always said to me dreams are free and um the only person stopping you from achieving them is yourself and if you have a go uh, and damn the consequences, you just never know what might happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for that, Sam. Good couple of questions there. All right, Paulie, we'll wrap it up now, mate. Um, one thing that, that reminded me of, I actually listened to a uh, little podcast of um, Rex Hunt the other day with Dylan Franz. Um, he runs a pretty good podcast. And Rex Hunt said something along the lines of, um, find something you love doing and get someone to pay you to do it. Yep. Did you ever hear that one off him? Uh, heard it many times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you just got to be careful though, because when this is another thing people don't understand, when you get paid to do something, it is no longer a hobby; it's a job. Mm. And and if I can leave you with an analogy, just and I and if people can think about this, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, and I'm not being negative, I'm just I'm just giving people. A different thought process. So there's a group of kids and they go to play cricket in the street because they're bored on holidays. They're in lockdown. And they go into the street and they start playing cricket. They're having a ball. And this grumpy old man walks down and says, boys, keep it down. I'm trying to read my book and enjoy life. And they said, oh, piss off, you silly old man. So he goes back to his house. Next day, they come out and they're playing cricket. And the grumpy old man comes down and says, keep it down. Get, get. They said, get lost, you silly old And this goes on for a week. And the kids get louder and louder, thinking, we'll fix you up, you silly old grumpy man. And on the eighth day, the grumpy old man walks down and says, kids, I've had a good think about things. I'm a grumpy old man, and I shouldn't have treated you like this. You've actually brought joy to my life. I would like to pay you each $1 to play cricket today. And the kids go, how good's this? We're getting paid to do something we love. And they put on a show. They scream louder. They scream. They play cricket all day. The next day, came out and said, boys, that was amazing. I want to pay you again, but I'm a pensioner. I've only got 90 cents. Is that all right? Of course it is. We'll play cricket for 90 cents. So all day they screamed and yelled for 90 cents. 
This went on for a week. And on the last day, he came out and said to the boys, I'm so sorry. It went from a dollar to 90 to 70 to 60. And yesterday I paid you 10 cents. But boys, I've got no money to pay you. But would you play cricket just because I love it? They said, piss off, you silly old man. We're not playing for nothing for you. And they left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think about that in the bigger picture. And, and and that is what you could be working towards. The minute you get paid to do something, it is no longer a love, it is a job. So you need to make sure you always love what you do and it doesn't become about the money. Because the minute it becomes about the money, you might as well be a mechanic, a panel beater, a garbo, a doctor, something else. Because otherwise, it just ain't worth it. A PE teacher. Or a PE teacher. <laughs> I've, 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 I've always got that to fall back on, lads. <laughs> yeah, mate, don't do it to yourself. It does me head in. <laughs> if, if, you saw, if you saw the size of my guts at the moment, I definitely won't be running around the track in a, in a, in a hurry, yes. <laughs> oh, beautiful, mate. We'll wrap it up there. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us again, mate. It's been a fucking absolute honour. Uh, absolute pleasure. I've got to wrap it up because my wife is she's just come in and she wants to go do a walk around the block. We walk every day in ISO and it, uh, it helps with the 10 bourbons we're going to have tonight. Beautiful, mate. Bloody treat yourself. Uh, really, really, really nice to catch up with you all. I, I appreciate it heaps. And uh, as I said, just follow your dreams, lads. And as long as you're having fun, then it's all worth it.